0: That brought back a lot of memories from last December when uh, Todd and I were up there uh, meeting with, those, with the pastors, with James and his family, and just seeing the need that was there. Uh, I, I was fascinated by the uh, St. Joseph's Basilia uh, with a lot, for a lot of reasons, but one was Brother Andrew wanted that built because he felt like that... Uh, Mary had been given all the attention, and Joseph didn't get enough, and so he wanted to build this as an honor, as a memorial to, uh, to Joseph, and it's quite an quite a, a, a edifice, it's the third largest Basilia in all the world, only a couple in Europe are larger than that, so it's, it's quite a thing to see and, and experience, but there's a lot of, as they said in the video, uh, some confusion about the centrality of Christ and the centrality of the gospel, And so uh, pray for Montreal, pray for Brother James, and I can't wait for you to meet Christian and uh, Jean-Marc as we look at the uh, videos from Quebec City and from Sherwood. So those will be coming in weeks to come. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. This morning we're uh, going to start this passage. We will not finish this passage today. I'm, I'm certain of that. We're going to start talking about just the heart of the gospel, the heart of the Christian religion, the very central matter, uh, if you will, of what the Christian faith is really all about. Uh, Some scholars or some commentators say that they believe what you have here is, in these two verses, the text on which Paul is expounding for the rest of the book that in this little, these two verses are encapsulated everything that he's going to deal with for the rest of the book. It's, it's, the, it's the heart of it. It's the key matter that I want you to see and want us to understand in these days to come. Uh, it, it, it's a very simple statement. You've heard it read hundreds, maybe thousands of times before. But I want you to hear it clearly again this morning. The Apostle Paul writes this in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or from faith to faith. It can be translated to the way. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And of course, the Apostle Paul is quoting the passage that Pastor Ricky read this morning, In our hearing to the word out of Habakkuk chapter 2, where Habakkuk said, The righteous man shall live by his faith. And Paul is bringing that to bear here. He's saying, Listen, this is not a new concept. This is not something that I've dreamed up or anything. This is what God has been saying through his prophets and through his word for generation after generation, for century after century. The righteous will live by faith it's the doctrine of justification by faith alone that he is going to expound on that he is going to open up for us in this book over the next few weeks and months i I love what one early fifth century commentator wrote when talking about the gospel and how it unfolds before our very eyes when we get into the scripture and it was in my grace notes article this week but but he made this statement he said the gospel is like a pepper I'd, I'd never thought of that, quite honestly, that the gospel is like a pepper until I, I read him s- saying that. He said, the gospel is like a pepper. A peppered outwardly seems cold to the senses, but the person who crushes it between his teeth experiences the sensation of a burning fire. And he went on to say that in the same way, the gospel can appear at first like an interesting theory or philosophy. But if we take it in personally, if we, if we take it to heart, if we take it seriously, we find that it's not cold, it's not indifferent, but indeed it is filled with power. And that's what Paul is talking about in these verses this morning as we come to it. For the righteous man will live by faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and then the Greek. Let's pray together. Oh God, what a treasure we have in your gospel. You show us there what no therapist can do, what no government program can do, what no money can buy. Your gospel shows a, shows how you give a sinner like us a fresh start and a glorious destiny in all of eternity. Father, and we don't have to open it up. We don't have to trigger it. Uh, with empty, we, we just simply come to you. We don't have any power or any virtue to open that door. We simply come to you with the empty hands of faith. Lord, we do now receive the full merit of our Savior, to wash away all our guilt forever and to procure for us everlasting joy in your presence above. Lord, we, re- we receive the continued flow of Christ's meritorious obedience, washing over us, covering all our sins, compensating for all our guilt, and fulfilling all our failed obligations to you, placing us in your presence as one Fully measuring up to the standards of your holy law. Not because we do, but because Christ did. Fill us, O Lord, now with a deeper, richer affection for you. Prompted by the blessed Holy Spirit as you enlarge our understanding of your gospel. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. The Apostle Paul begins this passage by simply saying, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's really where we're going to camp for just a little bit this morning as we think about that phrase. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Why would he be? Uh, the gospel is the power of God. The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. Why would Paul say, I am not ashamed of the gospel? I think Paul would say he's not ashamed of the gospel because there has been temptation in his life, and perhaps there is still temptation in his life to be ashamed of the gospel. James Stewart, the great Scottish theologian, uh, once made this statement about it. He said, there's no sense in Paul declaring that he's not ashamed of something unless you've been tempted to feel ashamed of it. And so when Paul says, I'm not ashamed, he's amplifying, he's clarifying the fact that I have been through struggles, I've been through hard times, I've been through difficulties, but I want you to know I have come to this point where I am ready to willingly, vocally, and clearly declare I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the very power of Almighty God. Why in the world would one be ashamed of the gospel? Why in the world would we be tempted to say that? Why would you and I in this world, in the 21st century, living in America in a post-Christian culture, in in a culture that wants nothing to do quite honestly with God or with Christ or with with most religion or anything else unless it's some aberrant religion, why would we be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel? Well, it's kind of clear from Scripture. The word word ashamed there that Paul used the a word that could also be offended. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not offended by the gospel. But Paul, through his letters, makes it clear and Jesus made it clear that the gospel will be by itself offensive. We talk about that in our our evangelism. We talk about that in, in training people how to share their faith. We say, listen, there is no excuse for you being offensive. You need to go with love and grace and and care and concern. You're not to be offensive, but I want you to know you can go in all the love and grace that you want to and the gospel itself will be offensive to many people. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One reason for that is the gospel is telling us that our salvation is free and absolutely undeserved. Why, that's really insulting to many people. Many people want to say, wait a minute. I feel like I've done something to make God smile upon me. I think I've done something to make God pleased with me. Surely there's something that I've done whereby God says, you know, Bill, you did it right. Come on, I accept you. But the gospel says no. The gospel says we are absolutely, completely undeserving of this salvation that Jesus Christ earned on the cross. And it's only ours as a free gift, as coming from God by the power of His Holy Spirit, as the gospel invades our life. It tells us that we're spiritual failures when it gets right down to it. And the only way to gain salvation is completely through a free gift. This offends moral and religious man. This offends the one who wants their morality to be the base of their life and think that their morality ought to make them acceptable to God. This offends the one who says, I will go through all the religious rituals. I will will go through everything that I'm told to do, and I will go through every step of it. and, And surely by doing that, God will receive me. And the gospel says, no. You can't be good enough, moral enough, or religious enough They're in the presence of a holy God. And that's offensive. Don't you think when Paul first heard the gospel, he was just a little offended by it? He was a man who had spent his life as a Pharisee who had trained in the law, who had lived the law, who had done his best to be perfect in the law. He went through every religious step that there was in Judaism in order to say, I stand blameless before man, and I stand blameless before God. He even said to the Philippians, I, you know, as, as to the law, I, I, you can't point to the law and say, Paul, you messed up here, because you don't know about it. Now, he never said God could, would say that, but he said other men would. Paul was a very religious, very moral, very devout person, but he was religiously wrong, morally wrong, and devoutly headed to hell until the gospel invaded his life. But it's offensive to be told that you can't do anything to earn salvation. The gospel is also really insulting by telling us that Jesus died for us. Most people say, I don't want anybody dying for you. You remember the famous Ted Turner quote many years ago when Ted Turner, the owner of of CNN and, and and TBS and a lot of other media outlets and all, owned the Braves at one time in Atlanta, and somebody asked him about his relationship with Christ, and he said, I have a relationship. I don't want anybody dying for me. I'll do it myself. And he will. But to no effectual eternal significance. Indeed, it's insulting to say that Jesus died for us because by saying that, it tells us that we are so wicked that only the death of the Son of God could save us. and Nothing short of that. The gospel, by telling us that we're trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough and thereby insists that there is no good person that will be saved. Remember when Jesus was confronted by the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler came to him and said, good teacher, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Now, he's not denying that he's good there, but he's acknowledging that this young ruler sees who he really is. He's God incarnate, God in the flesh. But he said, there is none good except God. We can't talk about good people in, a, in an ultimate sense. We can't talk about he's a good man or she's a good woman as far as, as, far as we're looking at spiritual and moral matters. Humanly speaking, they may be good. Humanly speaking, they may be very, very, very benevolent. But spiritually speaking, they're not good people. They're separated from God because of their sin. And, and it's offensive. It's offensive to the, the, the natural mind to hear that you are not acceptable except through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that Our salvation was accomplished by Jesus' suffering and his serving, not conquering and destroying, but by his serving us. And and following him means to suffer and to serve with him. But most of us don't want to suffer. We want a salvation that brings exaltation. We want a salvation that brings happiness. That's why some of the TV preachers make it so well. you know. They, they, they're just saying, hey, come and be happy. I'll help you have a better life. I'll help you be happier on this earth. And, and Jesus is all about saying, being happy on this earth is not the ultimate thing. Being right with God is what is ultimate, and it only comes through the gospel. So, so Paul says, I want you to know I have come to a point where I am not ashamed of the gospel at all. Because it's the power of God. It's the righteousness of God. It's the work of God in an individual's life. And I cannot be ashamed of it. I can only share it and talk about it and, and, and see it spread by God's grace through my own life. That's, that's quite an amazing thought when you think about it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I can't help but think that, that Paul, in talking about that, and talking about his not being ashamed... Could not have, he could not have helped but think about some of the things that Jesus said about being ashamed, ashamed of him and ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of uh, uh, what Paul is talking about here. Uh, you can imagine my surprise when this last Friday morning uh, I was attending the, the graduation at Boyce uh, College at Southern Seminary uh, and uh, was sitting there and, and the keynote speaker is a little-known little guy named John Piper and, and Piper stood up and said, uh, my text for the day is going to be Mark 8, 34 through 38. And I thought, wait a minute, that's my subtext for Sunday morning. And then he went on to explain it a whole lot better than I did, or would, or could. But it was amazing the way he made the parallels of what I'm talking about this morning as he talked about Jesus' words there. I want you to listen to this. Don't turn with me to Mark 8. I want you just to hear the word. These are, these are striking words. These are These are frightening words, if you're not careful with them. Hear what Jesus said. He said, and he called to him the crowd with his disciples, and this is what he said to them. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself, take up his cross, that is, die to self, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For my sake, Jesus says, and the gospel's sake will save his life. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me, there's that word. Whoever is ashamed of me, whoever is offended by me or of me, ashamed of me and of my words... In this adulterous and sinful generation, of Him, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Did that shock you? It's really a shocking passage, if you think about it. When Jesus says, I want you to understand that you cannot be ashamed of me or my gospel. You cannot be ashamed as as a believer and be in Christ and be offended by me and my gospel and and its truth and its teaching. You cannot be ashamed because if you're ashamed of my gospel, it's equivalent to losing your life. Because you're selling out to the world. You're more interested in what the world has to say than what Christ has to say. You're more more interested in living unto the world than living unto me. And I I find it interesting that he says here, he, he draws it out in verse 38. He says, Whoever's ashamed of me and of my words, where in this adulterous and sinful generation? He says, If you're ashamed of me in front of adulterers and sinners, and you think their approval and their, their praise is more important than the approval and praise of me, then I want you to understand, you have really got this whole matter of Christianity and the gospel convoluted, turned around, upside down, on its head, and completely misunderstood. Jesus said, I want you to understand, there, there, are, there are issues involved here that have eternal consequences. Piper called him. I wasn't going to call him this, but since he did, and I liked it, I'm going to use it. He he said in this passage, there are two flashpoints about you and the gospel. There there are two flashpoints. He said, the first ones come in verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? And what can a man give in return for his life? And, And there basically he says, this is the person who says, you know... I really just want the world. I've got to have more. I've got to have more pleasure. I've got to have more stuff. I've got to to have that in this world in order to be happy. And Piper called this the power of possessions. The power of possessions. Whoever's ashamed of me, for what will it profit a man if he gets everything the world has to offer? I mean, everything. Everything. Money, houses, cars, investments, vacations, you know, soft, cushy retirement, whatever. What if he gains the whole world, but that is his focus and that is his God and that is what he pursues above everything else instead of or over the gospel? Jesus says, then you lose your soul. Quite honestly, I don't care how much you go to church, I don't care how much you, I don't care how many good deeds you do, I don't care how much you, you, give your, you give your possessions up to the poor when you're done with them, so you can get new and better. I don't care how much you do that. To do that is to be held captive by the power of possessions. The world Again, to quote Piper, the world is constantly telling us that having more stuff, more things, is having life. And Jesus is saying, no, having me is having life. Knowing me is having life. And, and, and i loved how he expressed it. he said you know there's a there's a 20 year old version of yourself he's talking to these graduates and there will be a 70 year old version of yourself and said the the 20 year old version of your idiot self and the 70 year old version of your idiot self are exactly the same now parents i'll let you tell your kids why it was okay to use idiot in this context but they can't use it that's up to you but the point is there there is this battle within every believer's life to deny themselves to deny themselves to take up their cross and to follow christ so we're always battling against the power of possessions do we serve christ with what he he blesses us with so much and are we going to serve christ with what he blesses us with or are we going to serve self are we going to let the power of possession say no? This is yours. Use it for yourself. Use it for your pleasure. Use it for your joy only. Or are we going to use it for the glory of Christ? Second thing Jesus talks about is in verse 38. He says, For whatever, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man, or of her will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. If the other is the power of possessions, this is the power of approval and the power of praise of man. Whoever's ashamed of me and my words before these adulterers and, and these sinners and these who want nothing to do with me, but, but I'm ashamed to speak the gospel. I'm ashamed to talk about Christ. I'm ashamed to, to share it. I'm afraid I'll look foolish. I'm afraid they'll think less of me. I want their approval. I want their praise more than I want the praise of God. Jesus says, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. The praise of man, but not the praise of Christ. Because he says then, when the Son of Man, the Son of Glory, the the Son of God, the incarnate God, who has left this earth in an ascension and who will come again, in a second coming, the Son of Man, when that happens, coming in the glory of His Father with all of the holy angels, celebrating, bringing consummation to all things. If you're ashamed of me before these sinners and adulterers, then I want you to know when I come in all the beauty and glory and and praise of God the Father and the heavenly angels, then I will be ashamed of you. You see, it's not so much a matter of it's not so much a matter of, of Adding Jesus to your life, it's it's not so much a matter of of just saying, I want to profess something. It's a matter of knowing something. It's a matter of knowing who he is and living unto him. Paul is saying, you know, I fought that battle. I fought the battle for the approval of man. And, And just read... Philippians chapter 3 this afternoon. And, And you'll see all of Paul says that he got to get the approval of man, both his religious heritage and his religious activity. He said, man, I had it all humanly, religiously speaking. But he said, when I met Christ, when I came face to face with the gospel, And face to face with Jesus Christ. All of those things that I counted valuable, and as a Pharisee was probably a a, a fairly wealthy person as far as people going that day, Paul said, when I met Christ, all of that became like garbage. Became worse than garbage. It became like dung. Refuge, stuff we throw out. When I came face to face with Christ, I came to realize, I can't earn favor with God religiously, morally. I can't do it. But when I trust Him, he goes on to say to the Philippians, when I, when I came and trusted Him, I was given a righteousness that was not my own. But it was a righteousness that comes on the basis of faith in the eternal Son of God. A righteousness that I can't produce. I can't produce it. You can't produce it. But when we come to faith in Christ and face to face with Christ, then everything changes. That's why a lot of people you know, I, I worry about because they, they want to say, I'm a Christian, but they're, they're really kind of ashamed of Christ, and, and they want to say, I'm a Christian, but they really kind of live in the world as though they're more interested in the approval of the world and the praise of the man and the, the power of possessions than they are in just the glory of the Father and the glory of the Son and the glory of the Holy Spirit. Fits in with Corum Deo, folks. Living in the presence of Almighty God. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it has absolutely, completely, and totally wrecked and renovated and changed and rebuilt my life from first to last, from beginning to end. I'm ashamed of the gospel because in that gospel is the power of God to make me somebody that I was not. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I, I loved Piper's title for his sermon at the graduation. It was Spiritual Schizophrenia. And he defined it as being living in a, he went through, he didn't do all the medical and, and, and other definitions, but he said one of the definitions in the dictionary was just sort of living in discord or living in, in contradiction in this life and he said you know the person who's in christ really is living with spiritual schizophrenia he's saying you jesus says you must deny yourself deny yourself the role of pleasure being the most important thing deny yourself the role of possessions being all that you want take up your cross and follow me Because we live in a day that says, I don't want opposition. I want approval. I don't want shame. I want to be honored. I don't want suffering. I want comfort and pleasure in this world. And indeed, I I don't want to die. I want to be safe. And I want to be secure. And so we have people trying to use every medical trick they can to live forever. Forever even cryogenics that maybe if I go and just get myself frozen just before I die that someday they'll find a cure of what I've got and they can fall me out like a tv dinner and and I'll be as good as new doesn't happen like that Jesus said there it's a point for man wants to die and then the judgment And Jesus said, judgment will come when I come in all the glory of the Father with the heavenly angels, the holy angels. I will come with them in glory and in power and for everybody to see. And at that point, the, the decision has been made. What holds sway over my life? The power of possessions? The power of the approval and praise of man? The power of my own pleasure that's contrary to what God's word says. What's most important? And Jesus says, You got to decide that. You got to fight that. You got to fight that battle. Spiritual schizophrenia. You got to die to self, and self has to die. And self will rise up, and self will. Will proclaim its preeminence and its its desire for glory, and you have to say, no, no, the glory of Christ is what is the most important. So Paul starts this two verses, and we got through the first phrase. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let me ask you this morning just a simple, straightforward question. Are you ashamed of the gospel? You know, I, I look at the fields around Somerset, and the fields are white. They're, they're, there's a need for the gospel. But we're not like Montreal, where, what do you say, 200 people in a room, there might be one Christian. You just look at the percentage odds. And that whole, that whole country of uh, the state of Quebec In Quebec City and in Sherwood and in in Montreal is so secular and so pursuing the power of possessions and so pursuing the approval of man and praise of man that they don't even consider the gospel. And God says to you and me, if you've met the risen Christ, if you've been changed by this gospel message, There's a field you can serve in. You can do it next door. You can do it right here. And we're doing that. But I believe he's called us to to more than just a parochial, uh, localized ministry. He's calling us to take the gospel to places where it's not being heard at all. You know, that's what. Paul said his desire for the gospel was to the Romans said, "I want to I go where the gospel has not been clearly proclaimed. We have that opportunity. The question is, are we ashamed of the gospel? Let's pray. Father, there is an indictment from Jesus in Mark chapter 8. There is an indictment there to those of us who are more concerned with this world than with your gospel. Father, there's a conviction in my heart. How many times have I seemed ashamed of the gospel because I wanted someone to think nice of me rather than think I'm one of those religious fools, fanatics, always talking about Jesus. And I want them to like me. And so I let them like me all the way to hell for them. Because I was ashamed of you. Father, the gospel is power. The gospel is righteousness. And I pray, Lord, this day. that we will hear the truth of this passage, both of these passages. And I pray that fresh and anew this morning as we walk out those doors, that we walk out recommitted to what the Apostle says here. I am not ashamed. I am not offended. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it gave me life. Oh, Father, do your work in my life. Father do your work in our lives for we pray in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.